Welcome to the Human Resources uh, Committee meeting for the Board of Trustees. Um, people should have the agenda <clears throat> in front of them. Uh, Rona, with that, can I have roll call? Yes, Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Esteen. Here. We have a quorum. Thank you. All right, thank you. And um, <clears throat> we have uh, the president of our Board of Trustees, Dr. Buquette. He's also with us today. Then I don't know if you want to say a few words, staff. No, ma'am, I leave it in your good stead. I, uh, I try to attend all meetings in my ex officio capacity. So thank you for having me. Okay. So I would like a motion to approve the minutes from the last meeting, which was back in April. And so we are now in July. All right. All those in favor, or please take roll call votes, Rona. So, Trustee Esteem moved. Did you second, Trustee Blue? Yes, I second. Excellent. Uh, so, for roll call, Trustee Blue? Aye. Trustee Esteem? Aye. Motion passes. Thank you. All right. I'm going to turn it over to Lorna. Uh, where she's going to give us a presentation on the HR dashboard. Thank you, Trustee Blue. I would love to take credit for doing this dashboard, but I would not be truthful. And actually, the two individuals that um, created this dashboard are Lynn Velasquez and Karen Skillman. And they're going to be walking us through the dashboard of talent management me metrics, along with some business intelligence metrics and our new exit interview. Um, database. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it over to Lynn. Okay. And um, how do we share the screen uh, of the dashboard, Lorna? Rona, can you share? Or are you still frozen? Or Ahmad? I am still having computer issues. Um, you should be able to share the screen, Lynn. Okay, let me see. Let's just hit share screen there on your screen. Okay. Let's see. Okay, can everybody see it? Yes. Dashboard? Okay, thank you. Um, so for the uh, time to fill metric, it just a slight uptick uh, from uh, 42 days from the prior quarter to 43.4 days. Um, and so we're still meeting our target. Our benchmark is 51 days. So we're doing quite well there, even though uh, we have had an increase in requisitions, as you will see. Uh, when we get to the time to onboard employees. So that also was a slight uptick uh, from 32 days to, excuse me, a slight downtick from 32 days to 31 days. Uh, we have seen an increase in our requisition uh, portfolio workload, uh, an increase of 26%. Uh, so I know that what we're doing for the recruitment team is that we are currently trying to recruit two more recruiters and also a contract a sourcer. And that person is, uh, uh, their sole uh, responsibility is to hunt, if you will, for passive and active 
uh, candidates. So I'm hoping that we can um, uh, be more diligent and getting uh, the talent into the organization with those ads to the team. And then if we look down at the, excuse me, at the uh, residents of Alameda County, uh, we're doing quite well. Uh, overall, the current employee count, uh, we have 62% of our employee body that lives and works in the um, uh, county of Alameda. Uh, and also we're getting a good sourcing from our new hires, which accounted for 59% uh, of all new hires that live and work uh, in the county of Alameda. So very good results there. Question, is there a target goal for the percentage of employees that live and work, live and reside in Alameda County? Um, not that I'm aware of. I know that we uh, try to, uh, you know, uh, have a diverse candidate pool. And sometimes we have candidates that fall outside of the uh, county for various reasons. You know, it's cheaper to live out in um, uh, Contra Costa County, which is an outlier. And sometimes people live in the Central Valley where it's cheaper. So, but we do try to uh, source from uh, Alameda County. And we do have various job boards that do that for us. We call them feeder uh, uh, job boards. Yeah, I just one question. I noticed today that the city of San Francisco which is, I know, one city and county, and AHS is not connected to the county per se, mm -hmm. um, but they are doing some environmental goals. And part of that targeting is to try to figure out how to get more people who live in San Francisco. Um, and I don't know if there's a way to partner with the county around incentivizing um, home buying, rental assistance as a way to target job seekers. I, I don't know. Uh, and also benefit the hospital, right. Um, I guess we could look into that uh, to see if we can replicate that in some way. Uh, but since I've been here uh, since September, I don't think that there has been a goal set per se uh, in this area. But we are doing very well. That's great. Yeah, uh, I know the city of Hayward is doing like a 5% home, 5% of their city staff uh, home buyer assistance. So there are initiatives. Oh, okay. Well, we can check that out. I'll put that on my list. Okay. Any other questions on this particular slide? Okay. And this is uh, for workers' compensation. Uh, this is where employees are unable to work. There was a slight down uh, um, um, decrease from the previous quarter of 0.5%, and also claims went down by 15 cases overall. Uh, and I think this is uh, due to the uh, COVID-19 claims. Uh, they have gone down. So uh, that's reflected on this particular slide. Any questions on this one? Okay. And here's my favorite slide. This is the uh, turnover dashboard. Um, it's on, on the system level of per the... Uh, quarter four uh, from April 1st to June 30th. Uh, we have an annualized rate of 15.99%. Our quarterly uh, index is 4%. And we had a term count of 199. Um, and that uh, was slightly up from the previous quarter. 
the first year that's annualized, you see that there is a um, an uptick from the previous one. Uh, in quarter three, uh, we had an annualized rate of 28%. Uh, and in quarter four, it increased to 38.51%. And the quarters also went up 7.12 and 9.63. Second year, uh, we also saw a slight increase uh, from the previous quarter, 23.62%, and annualized in, in, the, in this quarter for uh, at 25.48%. Now, if we go down to nursing, because we do a uh, separate statistics for nursing to call that out, uh, it decreased. Uh, uh, overall at a system level from 20.08% to 15.47%. And then uh, on a quarterly basis, it also decreased to 3.87% from 5% previously. However, on the, um, and also on the annualized first year um, turnover rate for nursing, it also went down from 43% to 36% annualized the quarter was 10.75 and the quarter was 9.02. In the second year, it did tick up slightly from 22% to 23%. Uh, and the quarters were about 5.59% to 5.92%. So you may ask yourself, what are we doing to try to stem the tide of attrition? Um, we are still launching our 30, 60, and 90 day pulse survey to all new hires, and we're doing aggregate data. Uh, it's still trending in a positive direction, uh, so that is really good news. Um, however, we're still losing people. I still feel that we, sh we need to uh, do a lot more um, on the ground level in terms of retention. And so we're uh, I'm working with the organizational learning and effectiveness team uh, to create a uh, retention of skill labs uh, for um, our launch when we do the leadership academy uh, later on in the year. Uh, and hopefully um, we can turn this around by really uh, having the managers engage not only their supervisors and managers, but also the entire team, because it's going to take everyone uh, to uh, welcome new hires uh, and to uh, retain people. Also on a long-term, um, uh, I think, for a long-term strategy, uh, we also need to look at a rewards and recognition program uh, to make sure that we are taking the time out to thank people uh, that you know come to work every day and work hard uh, and to, um, I think, do those touch points to the staff on an ongoing basis. Can I add to that, Lynn? I just wanted to make sure everybody on the board knows there's actually another committee that meets every Friday to talk about rewards and recognition. And um, this also feeds into retention and we're looking at different ways to incentivize employees um, to keep them with the organization. Um, a lot of recognition opportunities. And so we just started that process about a month ago. Mm -hmm. And we're also creating some uh, business intelligence reports. We're going to show you a, a snapshot of the Work Institute platform where it really can drill down into the exit interview data. And we're hoping to create um, not only educational um, 
uh, touch points with the managers, but also interventions when needed. And so that's going to be very instrumental going forward. Are is there any questions on this particular slide? And then this question. is Dr. Oh, sorry, Trustee okay. go, go for it, please. Okay. Just curious about demographic breakdown on um, separations, especially the the failed probations. Um, I know sometimes that those can be mm -hmm. a, a source of headache. Um, but you know, if there's any demographic breakdown that we just aren't seeing, but is available, breakdown by race, ethnicity, gender, age, ability status, SOGI information. I don't know if we can break it down to that uh, degree. I know that the um, exit interview can break it down uh, from uh, uh, business unit uh, down to department, all the way down to manager. And so we can actually drill down and look at uh, the reasons why people are leaving in a particular department. Um, and so we are working with our HR business partners to come up with a process by which we can do that with um, a little bit of, uh, how can I say, um, we need to approach this in a way that uh, is fair to the manager uh, and to educate them. And then if there's interventions that need to be taken, certainly uh, they will handle that piece. The, um, this next slide here uh, is, excuse me, is from the Work Institute Exit Interview uh, new platform. And it was launched uh, in May of 2021 of this year. It's a brand new platform. They're still working out some of the bugs. Uh, right now, there's no way to kind of customize it in terms of maybe having uh, some different reporting structures uh, that we can extract out of this platform. Uh, but it is going to serve as a really good tool, I think, to help the managers look at why uh, people are leaving, and then we can uh, create some interventions to try to stem that tide uh, once they are uh, identified. So what you're looking at, yes, go ahead. Uh, apologies. From the last slide, if you don't mind, the our attrition rate or versus retention rate, how we see it. What are the industry benchmarks for an organization such as ours vis-a-vis -vis these 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 rates? Are are we at industry standard by your estimation, Ms. Velasquez? Um, I think that uh, we are. I'm trying to get some good data because we have aged uh, benchmark data. Sure. Uh, and I've reached out to the California Hospital Association, and I'm working with uh, Tara Lynn Hollingsworth, um, and she's going to uh, provide me with some new benchmark data that we can utilize. But I think we are probably uh, within the realm of, you know, the uh, turnover rate nationwide. Yeah. I mean, there's I, some great science, I, which I'm sure you're, you're I, familiar I, with, every lost employee ballpark is six to yes. nine months of wages is what I what, what was a standard that I use. So as yeah. we monetize our attrition rate, that's a lot of money. <laughs> it is. It's about 50,000 to 75,000 for each person that we lose, which is a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. part of the, the new platform, uh, they use a, um, a, a calculated method uh, to do the uh, our, our loss rate, if you will, when people leave the organization. Thank so, you. but I think I think the 11.09, uh, you know, the, the benchmark that we're using or the target that we're using is probably too low and not realistic. It probably should be more like uh, 13 or 14 percent 
Uh, the, but what I'm most worried about is in the first and second year turnover rate where people are leaving. One of the top reasons um, aside from that of why people are leaving is uh, retirements. And retirement is the third leading uh, reason why people are leaving organizations nationwide, which I found interesting. Of course, with the, um, you know, the uh, baby boomers, I, I think that's part of it, and it's going to accelerate. But on this particular slide, it gives you uh, a, a somewhat of a an indication of the various categories under group. Uh, this is what uh, Work Institute uses in their main categories in terms of why people leave. So it goes from uh, career, environment, health and safety, involuntary job, uh, my glasses on, management, relocation, retirement, total rewards, work-life balance, and general employment off other. Uh, and then on the right-hand side under description, that is just a uh, sample of what those subsets could be as it relates to the larger categories. And the percentages that are depicted here are based on a three-year aggregate uh, that Karen Skillman had pulled for us for tonight. Hmm. And then, Lynn, I had a question. In terms of um, ethnic ethnic breakdown, age, you know, all those other demographics. Mm -hmm. And you said that Work Institute couldn't do that. And why is that? They don't have the program to break it down even more? Or oh, they don't have Well, I think they can't, they can custom, they can't customize the platform at this point. I uh -huh. think if they get, you know, employer feedback, uh, they will probably come out with a um, a newer version. This is just a sampling of what it can do. Uh, oh. And so hopefully for our next uh, presentation, we can actually take you through a demo because uh, we're still on a, on a learning curve on how to use it and extrapolate oh. the data and uh, manipulate it. Uh, so we'll be better prepared to show you what it can provide uh, to, the, um, uh, to the organization. But it can drill down by... Um, by department all the way down to the manager which is mm -hmm. which is really good mm -hmm. uh, on the next slide we actually have ethnicity listed um so i know that even if the work uh institute doesn't have the ability to specify on their like the information is available so there's got to be some way to at okay. least analyze. Yeah, this is just exit interview data that's all this is and so on the next slide, uh, this is diversity, new hires, rehires. Well, the question about ethnicity and all the demographics was not about the exit interview per se. It was about the separations in yes, general. That's correct. We would and love it's to based see the on data. the respondents' uh, comments that are made. So how their platform used to work, uh, they used to do by telephone, and they would make six attempts. And they had a pretty good uh, response rate, about 50%. But they added now a, a mobile feature where they can actually, you know, instead of talking to a voice, they can actually uh, rate uh, the organization that way and then submit it. So that's much better. I mean, when when you get a call from someone you don't know, I think their response rate was probably 
um, only 50% because the other half of the time people weren't answering the call. So we're hoping that uh, with their uh, mobile application that we'll see uh, an increase in the data. Can I just add one thing? Um, Trustee Esteen, we probably could extrapolate that data for you. It would be a custom pool, and uh, and we can work on that, Lynn and um, Karen. We'd have to do it like by exiting, put a you know a time reference to go back for so many months to look at the people that exited or left the organization, and then drill down by reason and then demographic information. Um, I will tell you, not everybody fills out the demographics, as you know, but yeah. we probably could get an idea if, you, if you're interested in that. Yeah, I think that'd be great to see. Yeah. Thank you. That'd be good. Yeah. Can I just mention this? My name is Karen Skillman. I work in the HR department. Um, we the, the Work Institute is one uh, method of pulling why people uh, have left the organization, but we can pull the people that were that left the organization due to uh, failed probation, and we can pull it by um ethnicity and gender and age um and so we can pull that straight out of our hr system and provide that um but the, it wouldn't be the exit interview so much but we still know who left and what why they left and the fact that they failed probation and then we could break that down for you we we've done it in the past and presented it but we could do a more current version that's not a problem mm -hmm. okay yep. thanks So, oh, Lynn, uh, before yeah. we leave this one, just in terms of the exit interviews and the other ways that people can connect mm -hmm. um, with our HR department when they're doing their exit, has that gotten better? Because I know the last time when we spoke back in April, right, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't as good as a turnout for the exit interview as people had hoped. And I just wanted to know if that was getting better. You mean the yes. increase in respondents to the exit interviews? Yeah, like trying to get to 100% of everybody who terminates with us. I think that, interview. yeah, we, we should be looking at that in the next uh, uh, 90 days uh, with okay. this new mobile app that was just launched. Okay. Remember, they had just uh, initiated it in May. And so we're hoping to see an increase in the respondent rate uh, hopefully by October, we should know if that has increased from 50%, let's say up to 70%. That would be a good increase in my view. Okay. Yeah, we currently, we were at about 50, 54% respondent rate. Um, and the new platform now allows employees to respond to exit interviews through mobile apps, which before it was just telephone interviews. So like Lynn says, we're hoping that that will uh, provide, you know, additional responses since people can just answer the interview over their phone um, and not have to take a phone call and talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we should see an increase. I'm thinking it's much more comfortable to do through an app and then you can enter your commentary and then send it versus talking to a human. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be tra tracking the response also in terms of have you gotten a better response because it's done online as opposed to a phone interview? Mm -hmm. Okay. And I think that's part of the uh, vendor uh, management por portion okay. of it to, to monitor their performance. And so, uh, like I said, we'll have to see uh, how this mobile app, app will affect uh, the uh, increased rate of the respondents. Mm -hmm. 
Okay. And I, I do want to Yeah. And I do want to say if it's a 50%, you know, response, personally, I think that's pretty good. I think it is too. Right. That 50% of the people mm-hmm. are responding. Right. So. Right. Right. Okay. I think that's a good rate, uh, 50%. Yeah. But we're hoping for more. Yeah. Because the more data we have, uh, then we can start trending it uh, better. Okay. Any more questions on this slide? Nope. And here is a snapshot of our diversity for the month of May. For new hires, as you see, uh, here is a bar chart. And then our current population. Hmm. Any questions on this slide? Pretty self-explanatory. And now for the fun slide. This is a a preview of our diversity, uh, our business intelligence diversity dashboard. And we're we're still trying to fine tune it uh, in the next couple of weeks before we uh, present a live demo to the executive leadership team. But we're really excited about this because we can tie it back to our um, heady work and implicit uh, bias training uh, and to raise awareness uh, of diversity uh, to our managers. Um, and it can even drill down right down to the department level. So we're so excited about this. So as you can look on this landing page here, uh, up here is the uh, different classifications. And this is really based off the EEO-1 report. And then over here is the start and end date period. So let's say we're going to look at Uh, the period from January 1st of this year through July 1st, which we have done. And here is a breakdown of the uh, gender. Here is the employee uh, total, female total, and male. And then this breakdown here is the female groups. Here are the percentages. And over here is the breakdown of uh, the male groups. And down here is like uh, the, the headcount total. Mm-hmm. Can you, let's see, hang on. Okay. Is this the first time that it's been done, this diversity chart? It's a business intelligence report. Um, and so uh, a lot of work goes into it. We had to build in the uh, algorithms for the logic uh, mm-hmm. so that when you uh, look at a period, uh, let's say from January 1st of this year to uh, July 1st of this year, that it populates uh, all of these different tiles. But we're still working on it. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to do more uh, labeling so that it really tells a story. Uh, so it's still uh, a work in progress over the next two weeks. People have any questions on this slide? No? Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Keep going. Okay. (laughs) 
And then on this slide, hold on. Uh, this is by age. And so we wanted to make sure that each landing page uh, was consistent in its feel and usage. And so again, the tiles are arranged to be similar. Uh, over here, it's by gender, start date, the total, et cetera. And then on each of the um, uh, columns here, we have uh, female uh, groups by age, male group by age, and then also their ethnicity that is displayed by percentage and then by, by head count. Okay, sorry. sorry. And I just mentioned, um, so on the diversity dashboard, we also, we just sent, we were just showing a sample, but we have pages that are by SBU, by location, by department. And um, the biggest reason, or one of the biggest reasons we wanted to go with this is that we get asked uh, in HR for counts all the time and ethnicity information. And then we pull all our data and they go, okay, I just want Highland. And so then we go back and pull it again. And then it's like, now I want Highland, the ED. And we're like, okay, so we go back and pull it again, right? And so this um, the, has filters where the leaders will be able to sort of click, I just want Highland, I just want the ED in Highland, and it'll change the chart uh, mm -hmm. based on that request. And so it's supposed to be available to leaders to kind of get that information on their own. And we're still available to, you know, pull specific information if people need it. But invariably, we always get asked, but then, but can you also do this? And can you add this? And so we're trying to put them out in multiple tabs of a, of a dashboard so that people can kind of filter and look at it themselves with, with what they want to see, which, which hospital, which SBU, like HR or IT or mm -hmm. Island Hospital. Or, so those are all um, filters on the different tabs that we've set up. Thank you. Any questions? questions? On, yeah. Okay. Questions on this slide? All right. Okay. Next slide. And here is our, uh, we just sent in our EEO1 uh, report uh, to. Um, uh, the government, I think it was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, for 2019 and 2020. So what you're seeing here uh, is a snapshot of what was submitted. Any questions on this slide? Do you want to know what our utilization targets are? Sure. Okay, so I had done a, um, a report, an EEOP report for one of the grants uh, that we have for AHS. And uh, when you submit the report uh, to the government, it does the calculation for you and it uses the uh, census uh, demographics for the County of Alameda. And it used the 2010 census uh, demographics. Um, and it identified uh, for males, uh, white males, Asian and Hispanic, and for females, it was uh, white females. So those are the uh, four groups 
uh, that we are going to be targeting in terms of making sure that we have a diverse pool of candidates. Okay, any questions on this slide? Okay. And then this is the 20, excuse me. This is the 2019. EEL one data points. Any questions on this? All right. And then I included this uh, from our organizational learning and effectiveness. Um, want to give you an update on training for the leaders and staff. Uh, we have just launched um, the, one of the first uh, series uh, for training around implicit bias training for all staff. And that was launched on July 7th. So we're excited about that. Uh, we're about to launch our annual competencies. I think in a, by the end of this week, it should be launched to all staff with a 60 day window to complete. And then we also uh, offered uh, recently uh, live course trainings in the following um, um, courses, SBAR, active listening, meeting effectiveness with Zoom, and then we're also getting ready to relaunch the Leadership Academy uh, and also develop for, in development is returning your staff to the workplace. And then we have uh, an e-library for self-paced uh, e-courses for all staff. Mm -hmm. um, is it possible to get a copy of the implicit bias training? Implicit bias training? Yeah, so I, just a copy of the curriculum. Of the curriculum? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Lynn. Did anybody have any other questions? Um, I did. I was just noticing in the demographics uh, that there's a much larger representation of uh, women-identified staff over men-identified staff, and yet in the uh, executive level, according to the proportions, men seem to be overrepresented. Uh, you know, we live in a patriarchal society, but just needed to say it out loud. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Duly noted. Duly noted. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. So Sheila's next, right? For the benefits right. retirement. Okay. Yeah, Sheila Walker. And Sheila, I actually pulled up your presentation. I don't know if you want me to share it for you. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Okay. And while um, Lorna is pulling it up, I wanted to introduce you all to Cynthia Enriquez. She is our senior retirement, retirement administrator. Um, and she has a very big job, and um, so I wanted to include her in on this presentation so she could answer any technical questions around the retirement plan. Hi, everyone. Hi, Thanks, welcome. Thank you. 
please let me know when you see my screen. For some reason, I'm having technical difficulties. That's no, on I see it. The presentation? Okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So I, first I want to start out with the um, medical benefits and the PTO. And so that's, these are the benefits that I'm going to be referring to in this deck. So, uh-oh, Lorna, we lost oh. something. Oh, you did? Uh, yeah, we're on something weird now. Okay. I apologize. I don't know what happened. Let me stop sharing. I can, I can, yeah, I can share. I apologize. I don't know what's going on. That's okay. It's, it's up now though, but I, I can share. I have it ready. Okay. You guys see it? Yes. Okay. All right. So um, basically our goal it has been to provide quality benefits at the best possible cost. Um, okay. And get my little clicker here. Okay, so this is the agenda for this presentation. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be discussing our medical and RX plans. I'm gonna give you a four-year claims history. I'm going to be discussing our self-funded medical programs and our fully insured Kaiser medical plans. Then I'm going to provide some medical plan benchmarking and um, PTO data and PTO benchmarking. Um, and the reason behind all of this benchmarking that I'm going to show you guys is, um, you know, I just want to drive home the point that we offer extremely rich benefits at AHS. And I don't want to just say that. I want to show you as well why our benefits are so rich. Okay, so here's the claims experience. Okay, so this is the claims experience for our fully insured um, PPO plans. We have two PPO plans. Our freedom of choice is just a basic PPO. And then our independence plan is a high deductible plan. Okay, and I know there's a lot of information on this slide, you guys. So I'm just going to kind of hone in on what I think is most important for you guys to take away from this slide. Um, so if you see over here, you can see our total net claims and fixed um, expenses have been increasing year over year since 2018. This, this, this slide, this deck only goes back to 2018. Um, you can see it has been increasing year over year. And those are some very large numbers, 42 million for 2018 and 2019, 44 million for 2020. And obviously we're still into 2021, so that number is still low. So that's the first thing I wanted to point out. Second thing I wanted to point out is the RX claims, which is right here. You guys will see that RX is, is increasing at a, at a higher rate than the, the medical claims. And that is something that, that is not uncommon nowadays. That's usually what most employers are seeing. We do have controls built around our RX plans, but I did want to point that out because I think that's important for you guys to understand. And then the last thing I wanted to point out is I wanted you guys to see what's happening with our domestic claims. And a domestic claim is any claim for service received in within an AHS facility. That's, that's how we define domestic. 
Non-domestic is anything outside of AHS. So you can clearly see that most of our employees are receiving care out, out way out of network, out of our, our, our system. And there's, there's, a, there's several reasons behind that. I can give a whole presentation on that if you need me to, but there's a lot of reasons around the fact that they're receiving care outside of AHS, but I just wanted you to see that. Um, clearly, if we drove them um, into our facilities, we could save more money, right? Um, so, does anybody have any? I do. Sure. I was under the impression that a high number of uh, employees opt in to the AHS uh, system of care, which is why the COVID vaccination went so rapidly. No, is that an incorrect. No, uh -huh. no. Most of them. Most of them are. I mean, there's a lot of reasons around this, right? Most of them seek care outside of the network. I, I live in Solano County, so clearly I'm not going to be going to one of our facilities. A lot of employees live in the different areas, um, and then privacy, right? Who wants to be treated mm -hmm. by someone that has access to their data, right? I mean, that's that's an issue, right? I know we've had some issues with claims maybe not getting paid as quickly as the non-AHS um, claims. I know that's come up because people have brought that to my attention. So those are just some of the reasons why um, people are going outside of AHS for treatment. Okay, thank you. Okay, all right. Okay, so now I wanted to talk about our stop loss experience. And basically what stop loss, for those of you who don't know, stop loss insurance is what that means. This is for our self-insured plan. It means our plan pays for all the claim expense, expenses up to a certain amount. And then we're insured for amounts above that, right? So for 2018 and 2019, our um, stop loss number was $250,000. In 2020, we increased that number to $350,000. But basically, what you can see, what this slide illustrates, is that our large claims have been increasing over time. Um, and that's even when we changed our pooling point from $250,000 to $350,000. You still see those numbers ticking up um, year over year. Um, I'm not going to get far into the weeds on um, our, our large claims at this time, but I, I would say that um, some of them are preventable by lifestyle changes. That, that's all I'll say at this point. Any questions on this slide? Okay, now I wanted to talk about our fully insured medical insurance. We offer three fully insured Kaiser plans, a high, medium, and low plan, um, and the Kaiser plans um, tell a very different story than the AHS medical plan. You can see the Kaiser medical plans have the total RX and claims have been, uh, I mean, the, the total medical claims, right, and the RX claims have been reducing year over year. And that's the opposite story of our plans as compared to our AHS plans. And you know, there's a lot of reasons for it. One reason for it is we have extremely rich self-insured uh, medical plans, right? And our hands are kind of tied at making changes to our plan design just because most of our population is represented. So 
our hands are tied in most cases to make ch making changes to our plan design and to increasing the employee's cost share. For most, most employees don't pay anything for our, um, our self-insured plans and they're extremely rich. The, I just want you guys to know I've been doing benefits for many years, right? These are our, our self-insured plans are the richest benefits I've ever seen. And, and the fact that employees don't pay anything for themselves or their dependents in most cases makes it all the richest, right? So that's, that's just something we need to think about. And, and we need to know that, you know, we're going to have to ask ourselves at some point in time, can we sustain, you know, these types of expenses? Let me go back. I can operate this thing back again and look at what's happening with our self-insured plans. I mean, look at this 42 million for two years, it worked to 44 million. And that in 2020, that's a COVID year, $44 million. Most plans saw a reduction in 2020, like Kaiser saw a reduction in 2020. We saw an increase. So when Tony was here, this is something we constantly talked about. How are we gonna deal with this monster that we have with these self-insured plans? So I just, just wanted to highlight that this is something we need to start thinking about. So uh, I'm hearing your emphasis and especially around all the different cost factors, the trust factor, and I wonder how relevant this is to strategic planning and quality improvement. You know, if, if our own staff and employees trust our system, that speaks volumes to how we deliver trust to the community. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I think there is some employees, and I've heard this, this, this hasn't been my experience or anything, but I've heard that there is an issue with trust around the quality of care that they'll receive at an AHS facility. So we, there's a lot of work we can do there. But I also think privacy is a huge one though, you guys. I don't want you all to think this is all about trust. I think privacy is huge. Because I, if I lived in Alameda County, I would feel a little strange about getting treatment medical treatment at one of our facilities, just because I know all these people have access to my personal information. It's just a little odd. Have we ever had uh, conversations with the employees about why they choose not to be in our self plan? They just self plan. Uh um, well, I've been with the organization for two and a half years. Since I've mm -hmm. been there, I am an, I am not aware of any of those conversations, but I, I am pretty keenly aware of the reasoning behind it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll just interject that actually the culture of safety does ask the question um, about if you receive care here. It doesn't go into the reasoning or the why, um, but I think that there's probably multitude of reasons of why. But, you know, just as we have to um, try to heal our relationship with the with our staff and the unions, this is another area that we have to improve on. But I also want to point out that I can use some of the data that Sheila's presenting and it feeds over into what talent does, because this is one of the selling points of um, AHS is that we have this beautiful benefit plan that mm -hmm. covers you and all your dependents. Um, and so it's a huge selling point. And so we're going to capitalize on that. Yeah, I totally agree. And if a system like Kaiser, you know, also gives their staff free to cheap care, they've worked out security. You know, I don't, I don't think that that's insurmountable. Mm -hmm. Right. I will tell you, um, right. Trustee Esteen, I um, was 
I worked at Kaiser for a few years, many years ago, but I opted to take the uh, PPO and I paid for it. So they, if you don't take the employer, you know, HMO plan that they offer their employees and usually there is a, a cost associated with it. So that's one of the barriers that they keep people internal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Any other questions? And Trustee Bouquet uh, may be trying to speak there. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, we yeah we can't hear you. Okay. He's gonna log out and log back in. Oh, and come back in. Okay. Okay. When he comes back on, then I'll stop and have him ask his question. Okay. Okay, well, I'm going to move on to the um, benchmarking. The first plan I want to provide benchmarking data on is our fully insured PPO plan, Freedom of Choice. Um, and what I'll highlight on this slide here, when I, you guys keep hearing me talking about how rich our benefits of plans are. The benchmark actuarial value of a PPO plan is 88%. Ours is 92%. Okay. Um, if you look at the employee contributions, um, the benchmark is $154 monthly for an employee. Um, AHS pays the most cases. Um, we pay everything. Employees pay nothing. Um, but the, the amount is zero to $82 is what employees pay um, for employee-only coverage. The benchmark for family coverage is $516 that employees pay a month. Again, most of our employees pay nothing for it, um, but it does go up to two, 232. Um, so you can just see, this, I'm not going to go through this entire slide, but this slide just shows, you know, how rich our our PPO plan is. Okay. Sheila, this is Taft Bouquet. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, yes, I, I can. My audio works. Ask your question there. Mm -hmm. uh, um, sorry, I had a few, but I'm just going to keep it simple. What what percentage of our 5,800 employees or, or the gross number actually take the freedom of choice, which allows them to come into the system versus a Kaiser? Um, I would say probably 60% of our employees, 60 to 65% of our employees are in our freedom of choice. Oh. Um, and then a very small, small sliver of employees are in the independent plan. And then Kaiser's the other big chunk, probably 30, 40. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. Okay. So now I want to talk about the benchmarking for our independence plan, and that is a high deductible medical plan. Um, and you'll see from this plan that I'll just start with the actuarial value. The benchmark actuarial value is 83%. Our actuarial value is only 81%. And the reason for that, you guys, is our plan does not offer employer seed money for the HSA plan. And, you know, that's the first thing I noticed when I started working at um, AHS because I'm used to participating in high deductible plans, right? You want to sock that money away in your HSA. Um, and I looked at it and I said, well, I'm looking at this plan design and there's no reason why I would choose this plan over the freedom of choice. And so I asked our broker consultant, why was it de designed this way? I was trying to get an understanding of why the plan isn't designed in a fashion where people would be incentivized 
to join the plan and they couldn't answer the question, right? Hmm. Um, so clearly that's the story. We're, I'm in an RFP right now, by the way, just so you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> that's just one of the reasons why. But um, clearly um, this is a huge opportunity to, to save money with our self-insured plans if this plan was designed correctly. And this is this is initiative. This is an initiative that I really want to work on um, next year um, because it. Most of our physicians are asking about you know they want to contribute to an HSA. Okay, if you know anything about benefits, you're going to look at this and say there's no reason why I should contribute to this, even with the HSA option. Right? We have to make this plan more attractive. Put some seed money in this plan to entice our employees to contribute to the HSA. And so what that does is they'll have their HSA account. They can take that with them whenever they leave. And then, and then, and then on top of that, it's additional tax dollars they can sock away from Uncle Sam, right? So that's huge for people that really understand benefits, especially high income earners. I've launched HSA plans, um, high deductible plans with HSAs in the past, even in a retail environment, you guys, and if you know how to launch and educate employees around this, they don't have to be high income earners to understand that this plan can be advantageous. And I think a lot of times people think, oh, well, the, uh, only the HCEs will participate. That's not the case. You just have to educate employees on it. And I think we could, we could take this pretty far and make a lot of our physicians and other HCEs really happy um, if we clean up the design of this plan. So any questions about our high deductible medical plan? Do you have any um, thoughts about what it should be if we were to offer that? Yeah. Yeah. If you do the benchmark. Yeah, I think we would try to come in around the benchmark. Obviously we would have to see can AHS afford, you know, the $575 for employee and $1,100 for family um, for the H, H for the HSA seed money, right? Um, and how I would propose that we do it, I've worked for employers where we give the HSA seed money in one fell swoop, like in January, everybody just gets a bucket of money, right? The best way to do that where you save the, where you save money is to give a little bit each pay period, right? So people can't just step out and leave, you know, February 1st and walk away with 575 or $1,100 in their HSA. So that, that's the way I would do it to save the company money. So that's just one of the things, but that's the first thing I would do. When we had to model this out based on claims and all that to see how it would impact us, but I, I would start with the HSA seed money. And it's obviously an educational campaign. It doesn't make sense to do any of this if you don't really have a strong educational campaign so people can understand it. And then just to get back to a comment you made about um, employees may not want to come into the AHS health plan is because of privacy issues. And I understand that, right? But it, when I worked at San Francisco General, I used to tell people, if I am hit, shot, stabbed, I definitely want to go to San Francisco General, but I don't want to go there just for something else, right? Yes, uh, I agree. And, and part of that is, was is the staffing adequate? And I knew what the staffing was like, 
on the med surge floors and there was no way I would want to go, right? Because they were mm-hmm. short staffed. So I'm just wondering mm-hmm. if issues like that play out as well. This privacy thing, I totally get it. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, but I, 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 I'm not the person in the know at that level to speak mm-hmm. to that level of detail. Um, you know, we can always provide you guys with more information around this if you guys would like more information. But I, I'm, I couldn't give you good answers on that right now. Okay. Because I do think that we should try to get as many of our employees to take on the AHS health plan, right? Because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it is, you know, you guys offered a lot. The union, the union has done a good job bargaining. <laughs> right. I agree. I yeah. agree. I yeah. totally agree. Yeah. There's some but, things we have to work on. First of all, we have to work on the claims payment, you guys, because when the, I've had some calls from employees and they are highly upset because they can't get AHS to pay their claims. And mm-hmm. I, I, I rarely to never get those calls about out of network claims. Mm-hmm. So that would be the first thing we have to handle. And then we can work on all the internal stuff and finding out why is there, why are they not seeking care outside of privacy and claims payment? What, what are the real reasons behind it? And then we can start tackling that stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? Any other comments from the, from folks? Okay. No, I appreciate that? you bringing up the staffing issue. That's always something that comes to mind. But I do, I agree with you that I've heard many people say, if I'm hurt in Alameda County, I want to go to AHS. Or even people saying, my pregnant wife wants to deliver at AHS. And then they wonder about whether or not their insurance is going to be accepted. And that's a mm. secondary issue about our uh, private insurance contracts. And I know we're working on that already. Yeah. Okay. So now I wanted to discuss the benchmarking for our Kaiser plans. As I said earlier, we have three Kaiser plans. And you can see here, here's the actual aerial, actuarial value of each plan. Um, the benchmark is 94%. And our Kaiser High plan, that actuarial value is also 94%. So it's the closest. The medium is 86% and the lowest 84%. Um, and if I just look at we can just start with looking at the employee contributions for employee only coverage under the benchmark is 131 for Kaiser high it's 76 um, and um, medium is 33 low. They don't pay anything. Family coverage. The benchmark is 445 Kaiser high 215 uh, medium 93 Kaiser low nothing. We can see even though, you know, Kaiser doesn't cost us as much. This is the, the Kaiser plans are still offering some pretty rich benefits because the employees are paying not much for great coverage. And they have three different options as well. And then you can look at the deductibles and all of that and see, again, um, especially for our Kaiser High, that's very rich compared to the benchmark. Um, so that's pretty much the story I wanted to tell on, on this slide. Any questions about the Kaiser plans? I'm going to move on to our vacation and PTO plans. Okay, so I know there's a lot on this slide. I'm just going to um, speak broadly. Um, so this slide shows the un. This is for AHS Core. You probably can't. I don't know if you can see that at the top, but this is AHS Core. 
for the unrepresented and represented groups in AHS core. So I'm going to start with the unrepresented groups. So for if you work for the company um, for a year or less, you can get anywhere from 22 to 31 days of PTO. If you work from one to five years, you can get anywhere from 27 to a high of 36. Five to 10 years, a low of 32, a high of 41. More than 10 years or more, 37 days to a high of 46. If we go to our represented groups within the core, um, again, you can see for less than, for a year or less of service, um, they can get anywhere from 20, 20 to 26 days for one to five years, 25 to 31 days for five to 12 years, 30 to 36 days. And for more than that, they can get um, from 35 to 43 days. These are extremely rich PTO plans, you guys. And on top of all of these generous days, most of our groups are offered an op opportunity to cash out some of the PTO each year. So that is very, very rich. I'm going to show you more benchmarking data a little later in the presentation to support that statement. Okay, this is the um, PTO data for San Leandro Hospital. Um, and this shows basically that the represented folks at um, San Leandro um, have a, a higher maximum for the maximum amount of years. They get 41 as compared to the young reps who get a maximum of 35. So if you guys don't know it already, there's a lot of talk about the represented getting more than the unrepresented. And, you know, sometimes that is the case. A lot of times it is the case. And this is just an example of it in a small location like San Leandro. Alameda Hospital, this is their PTO plan. Um, and this, let me get to that, my notes here. Okay, and this shows right here that the group um, in the ILWU operating engineers and the unrepresented um, receive the highest maximum of this group. So this is an area where, you know, um, um, for everywhere except for Park Bridge and South Shore, the unrepresented have a higher, are in the higher PTO earning group. Okay, any questions about PTO? Going to get to the benchmarking data now. So this is a PTO benchmarking by industry. And if you look at the healthcare um, area, it says here, um, 95% of salary of hourly employees and 98% of salaried employees in the healthcare arena um, receive PTO. So that just shows we're right in line with what other healthcare providers are providing. Um, and when we go on to the next slide, this slide just gives some benchmarking data on unlimited vacation plans. We refer to that as discretionary time off at AHS and um, unrepresented um, directors and above have the discretionary time off um, PTO benefit. And it says here about 11% of um, the respondents to the um, survey offer this to um, executives. 
So it's growing. You know, obviously there's plus, pluses and minuses to having discretionary time off, but it's, it's growing because you save a lot of money because you don't have to accrue all that liability for paying people off because there's no accrued bucket that you pay people out on. So it's a huge amount of savings. Um, and this slide right here just talks about um, the respondents to the survey that offer unlimited vacation or PTO and provide some type of guidelines or training around it. Um, and it says 46% of the people that responded provide some type of guidelines or training. And at AHS, we do provide guidelines on how to use the PTO and the GTO plan. And um, then right here, this slide right here just shows the average number of vacation or PTO days provided for salary people. That's right here. AHS exceeds this in all of our reps and unrep roles for salary people. The next slide shows it for hourly workers. Again, we exceed all of this. So this is just showing you why I say our PTO plans are so generous. And to top it all off, um, this last slide just talks about the different options, right? And it says here that um, for PTO plans, only 10% of the respondents offer employees an option to sell. And we offer that again, this further highlights how rich our PTO plans are. Any questions? Okay, I'm gonna pull up my other presentation for retirement and I'll have that up in a second. Okay. As I said earlier, Cynthia Enriquez, she's our senior retirement administrator and um, she'll be answering any technical questions you guys have about the retirement plans. So, just get this going. Just beginning. Here with me. I'll share. Okay. You guys can let me know if you see it. You can see it now? Yes. Okay. Okay, so um, this is the information for the AHS retirement plans as of May 31st of this year. We offer, um, and I'm referring to right now the three, three plans, our 403B, our 457, and our 457 CIR. Um, and so the main things I want to kind of hone in on these slides is just for you guys to take a look at the balances of these plans. I mean, these are huge balances. 403B has 142 million, 457, 173 million, and the CIR has 1.4 million. The average ba balance per participant is still pretty high. 56,000 for the 403B, 92,000 for 457, and just over 12,000 for, for the 457 CIR. You'll see here our participation rates are pretty high, 37%, 23%, and then the CIR, extremely high, 80.9%. And this is the matching data 
um, for the 403B um, AHS um, um, matches 100% up to 3%, and East Bay Medical Group matches 100%, believe it or not. Um, 457, we don't match anything on that. And for the 457 CIR, it's 4.5% fixed. The vesting schedule for our 43B is immediate. Um, it's a three, no, I'm sorry, for the fourth, is this right, Cynthia? Is it uh, immediately or, or is it, yes. isn't it, is there a cliff vesting schedule? Uh, for the 43B, for the 3% match, is it, it's immediate 100%. Okay, okay. 457, there's no match, so it's not applicable. And for the 457B CIR, it's immediate as well. Okay, so now I want to, I just mentioned to you guys about that very rich matching for East Bay Medical Group. And so I just wanted to dive down a little deeper into their plans. They're a participating employer um, for our retirement plans. Um, and so I just, I'll touch, I know there's a lot of information. I'm just going to touch on some some key points. We added them as a participating employer on January 1st, 2016. Um, for the 457B, as I said earlier, there's no match. Um, the employee contributions for year to date for 2021 is about 6.7 million. And the um, account balance for their 457B is 5.2 million. And the 403B, um, for East Bay Medical Group allows pre and post tax contributions. And um, the employer match for 2021, 2.5 million, which is a lot of money for such a small group. So I don't know how long they're gonna be able to sustain that, but a 100% match is extremely, extremely rich. Um, and the um, account um, balance for their 403B is just over 18 million. Okay, now I want to talk about talk about the AHS Enhanced Defined Contribution Plan. This plan was effective in September of 2013. Um, let's see, non-represented executives and directors automatically default into this plan unless they elect it. Elect the unless they elect the hybrid plan, Cynthia, right? Uh, no, it's it's actually straight default unless of their representative. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So that's that's the only choice. Um, and then let's see. There's a up to a five percent. They can receive up to a five percent extra employer match if they contribute to their four hundred three B. So so Cynthia, how it works is. The match is deposited into this account instead of the 403B? Yes, exactly. Because the additional 5% okay. employer match is a provision of the enhanced plan. It's not a provision of the 403B. Okay. Okay. And this is the plan that has the three-year cliff vesting schedule. So you get nothing, you meet three years, and you're 100% vested. Okay. And um, uh, let's see. The AHS annual employer contributions. Is that for this year, Cynthia, where you guys say approximately yes. 3.6? Yes. Okay, so we're projecting 3.6 million, which is a you know a good amount of money. Okay. Now we'll um, 
speak through the AHS hybrid plan. It's a combination of a defined benefit and a defined contribution plan. And that plan was effective in September of 2013. Um, let's see, let's see. The plan assets in that plan are about $2.3 million. Um, let's see, I'm trying to see. Okay, I don't have, you guys didn't provide Cynthia the AHS contribution, but you said it was about 2.2% of employees compensation, right? Right. Um, the actuaries are actually just beginning their um, work on the annual actuarial evaluation for the defined benefit plan. And in the next month or two, they will send us the annual data request. And then from there, they would be able to uh, make their actual assumptions on what AHS is supposed to contribute for the previous year, because it's always a look back a year behind, kind of like uh, an audit. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. All right, so now we'll talk about the 457B CIR. This plan is only for the California interns and residents only. Um, they have voluntary enrollment or they're defaulted to Social Security. Um, and this requires a 3% fixed employee contribution and a 4.5% AHS employer contribution. The vesting is immediate, um, and the current balance of this account is $1.4 million. So now I wanted to talk about the AHS, um, or actually the union pension plans. This is a little bit wonky right here, this titling, but these are the union pension plans. First, obviously, um, we have ASERA, um, and um, by far, this is our, our largest union pension plan. Um, let's see. And for the ASERA, the current eligibility is the core, um, and you have to be in the core and represent it at at least an A1 status and an FTE of 0.9 or better. It's a five-year vesting plan associated with ASERA, the 2021 annual employee contributions were 25 million. The 2021 AHS employer contributions, um, we're expecting, I'm sorry, that to be 68 million, you guys. That is a ton of money. And this is on top of the other matches we're doing for these other plans. So you can see these retirement benefits that we're offering, are, are, our benefits in general are just extremely, extremely rich. Um, and, and again, I don't know how long we're going to be able to sustain all these ex expenses, but um, for the employees, it's a win-win. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I went back. Let me go back. Hopefully I can work this thing. Okay. Okay. So, and also I have the stationary engineers um, pension plan that was established in 1955. It's for people at San Leandro Hospital or Alameda Hospital. Um, they have to be represented by IUOE, five-year vesting, um, and the monthly contribution rate is for San Leandro Hospital, 1140 per pensionable hour, Alameda, 12.74 per pensionable hour, and in 2021, we're expecting our annual AHS contributions to be 319000 
Okay. We have our SEIU pension plan that was established in 1968, and that's for Alameda Hospital. Um, SEI, obviously SEIU with a FTE of 0.5 or better, five-year vesting, that plan, um, let's see, employer contributions. Um, only, oh, this plan only has employer contributions. There's no employee contributions at all. Again, that's very rich. Um, and we're expecting to put $655,000 into this plan for 2021. We have the Steelworkers Pension Plan. Um, that is for San Leandro Hospital, CNA, ILWU represented with an FTE of 0.5 or better. Um, for Alameda Hospital, for CNA, for Park Ridge and South um, Shore, for CNA as well, five-year vesting. Um, let's see. Again, this is another one where only the employer contributes to it. It's 10% of pensionable pay. And we're expecting to put $3.9 million into steelworkers this year. And then the last plan I have is the Hotel and Restaurant Employees Health and Welfare Trust for SEIU. Um, this plan was frozen with only one remaining participant. That person terminated um, on, in December of last year. So there's no one else in that plan. So that plan's closed, right? Cynthia, isn't that all done, right. done with? Right. Exactly. I just added that in just to for continuity's sake because I know it was included in the uh, in uh, the previous slide, but this is not it. It's going to drop off in the next presentation. Okay. So that is it, you guys, on the retirement plans. Does anybody have any questions? I was just going to add that I think that this is something that we need to make sure that we're getting out in front of our candidates. I know our recruitment and talent management team do a great job of telling employees that they won't find better benefit plans for our employees, whether it be for um, PTO um, or for our actual medical benefits. But it's something that we want to continue to highlight to show that although we are at market for salary or slightly above, um, there is this intangible benefit that they don't realize that we'd like to like highlight for them to show why they should choose AHS as their preferred employer. Because I don't think that mm -hmm. there are many people in the industry that offer this wide variety of choices, whether it be a PPO plan mm -hmm. or Kaiser. Um, and also the, um, the freedom to choose, which is a, a benefit within itself, right? So if you're at Kaiser, you don't usually get that benefit, but here you can choose to have Kaiser or a PPO or a high deductible plan um, and we'll cover you and all your dependents. So we're going to continue to mm -hmm. do more marketing around this. Absolutely, Lorna. And I've worked with Robin Hodge, um, who is um, in charge of recruiting. She works under Lynn um, and we have developed um, some information to distribute to candidates for roles around our generous medical offerings, our retirement offerings, our PTO, um, and what I'll be working with with our new broker consultant once they're in place is an actual video um, for the candidates as well. So, you know, because everybody doesn't want to read all the stuff that's sent to them. But I agree, we, we have to do a better job of marketing our, um, our total rewards offering. And also part of that is we have a system called Comp Analyst. And we're going to be, we're working on adding data to that system so we can produce total, total reward statements for employees as well. I think what would be helpful also is if you have employees that are part of our health plan, that there's a photo of them and they have a quote about why. 
they signed up for, you know, um, Alameda Health Systems plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think more employees you have advocating, right? Mm-hmm. About mm-hmm. that, it'll be better, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. Anybody else have any questions? Uh, just thank you for the presentation. I think the key point here is this organization invests in its in people. It invests right. in its people, and it's important for us to let them to help our people understand how much we invest in ourselves. So I, I appreciate that data set. Um, thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Sheila. Thank you, Cynthia, for the presentation. I knew I knew it took a lot of work to pull that stuff together. So thank you. Yeah. You're welcome. Hi. All right, Lorna, um, are you ready to do your your presentation on the affinity groups? Yes, thank you, Trustee Blue. I don't have a presentation. I wanted to give this group an update since we last met in April. I uh, announced the fact that we were going to put together um, a proposal for the HETI committee to look at um, giving our employees opportunities to be involved um, at AHS uh, around affinity. And last Friday, we uh, launched a, uh, a document survey to all of our AHS employees, caregivers, and I believe the board also received a copy of it, asking for interest by our employees and which kind of groups they would be interested in having at AHS. And so I'm very happy that we are getting responses, and I will have um, more information in the very near future, but we are collecting surveys, and we're um, hoping that from those surveys, um, to provide those incumbents who had expressed an interest and in application on how to start an affinity group at AHS. And along with that, after Hetty has reviewed the applications, we'll be putting together, or actually we already put together, uh, a toolkit that gives um, prospective employees everything they need from A to Z on establishing a group at AHS, uh, a sample charter, um, how to put together um, uh, you know, an organization, what type of positions you need, um, how do you get rooms reserved? Everything they would need to know to start a committee here at AHS. Um, we're going to be hosting that on our HR um, on our HR website, um, along with providing them um, with additional resources if needed. With you know, kicking off their group and the meetings that they want to host. So, uh, the steering committee, the heady steering committee, was generous enough to say that they would. Um, also provide us with some resources and helping people get their committees off the ground. So we're very excited that we were able to do this in such a short period of time. I would encourage you to let the unions know, because many unions have what well, we call them caucuses, right? In SDIU, right? But they, you know, they have affinity groups or constituency groups, and their their members might be interested. Those who work for AHS. Well, might be interested in helping start one. Thank you, Trustee Blue. I have been socializing the whole idea of affinity groups with the unions. Um, I've met with um, SCIU 10 to 1 and CNA, and they both are well aware of the fact that we were going to be starting these. But you're right. I will definitely make sure that they know that, that we have kicked it off once we um, finish our survey and uh, see if, if they can help us wrangle up some individuals who may be interested in starting a group but I'm pretty pleased by the initial response by our employees. All right. Questions? 
from Ms. Jones. All right. Do we have anything else to discuss? No. Anybody, anybody in the, from the public want to say something? Because I forgot to ask that at the beginning. But We, we have no uh, public comment. All right. Thank you. All right. Well, any final words? Otherwise, I'm going to say it's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, everybody. Appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Good night. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.